You may be seated. Well, we are privileged to have with us a special guest this morning. His name is John Morrison. John uh, has spoken at Camp Quanos for many, many years, where he picked up the nickname Johnny Mo. So uh, some people might remember him through that. Uh, John currently lives in Abbotsford. Uh, he uh, studied at Oxford for a year, worked for Apologetics Canada, and now he is running his own business and has started an MBA degree. So this is one busy guy. Uh, John is married to Haley, and he has three children under seven. Uh, Abigail, who's six, Grace, who is four, and Lucy is two. I thought I was outnumbered, but he is completely outnumbered in his household. Uh, so let's give him a warm ocean view welcome this morning as we... John, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. And uh, going. There we go. Just as you start, I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Father God, thank you for John. Uh, thank you for the amazing guy he is, all the life experiences, the training uh, that you have brought into him. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit just empowers his words today, uh, straight through your word into our hearts. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Pastor Darren. Good morning, everybody. Those who are here, those who are watching, bring you greetings from my, my family who wanted to come, but we had a sniffle, and you know what happens when you have little kids and sniffles, everything shuts down for a few days, uh, literally everything. So I got to come to be here and have a nice sleep in a nice house, it was just lovely. So I'm just well rested and excited to be at Ocean View. I've driven by here many, many, many times, as Pastor Darren said, I, I spoke at Quanos, and uh, there was a little hockey camp down here in Shemanus, where I used to speak at all the time, and uh, it's just kind of cool to be back on the island. I haven't done this for a while, I confess. Uh, Christmas Advent messages used to be a stressful time, like how many different ways can you tell the Christmas story, right? Like from Mary's side and Joseph's side and, you know, the donkey side. I even preached, <laughs> preached this, an Advent sermon on the donkey side. Now I'm just going to uh, give you a message that it's just from five years, uh, I'm five years in the rearview mirror since I've been a pastor of just trying to explain Christmas to kids and trying to make sense of Christmas when you're uh, not in ministry. Like, what does Christmas actually mean? How does it help us? Uh, what, why is it a message of uh, good news, of great joy? Because the temptation is always, of course, to get caught up in just Christmas crazy, right? Christmas this and Christmas that. And I mean, thankfully, in COVID Christmas, you have a lot less Christmas things, but it's not long in the past that we remember just every single night having a uh, a meeting or a party or a, a concert or something to go to, and you can just be completely exhausted. I didn't even mention the family coming in town, right, and, and all the, the dinners and stuff and preparations that go into that. So Christmas can be a crazy time. And I've, 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 in trying to explain Christmas to my kids, I've come up with this term, uh, Christmas-ish. And I'd like to title the today's uh, sermon, Are We Talking About Christmas or Christmas-ish? And by the end of this, you'll have a good idea of uh, having two categories that you could then explain to someone, is this Christmas or is this Christmas-ish? And I hope that we will see that there is true joy and good news and hope in putting our faith in the Christmas story as it is and, and still enjoying Christmas-ish, but realizing it's not the same. All right, so we've already prayed, so that's great. Thank you, um, Darren, for that. And thank you for your leadership through COVID. <laughs> I just think every pastor is, um, deserves... Not a hug. I was going to say a hug, but we can't hug anymore. So you did deserve something, maybe a big 
Christmas turkey or something that you could get an extra something bonus because you guys are doing an amazing job leading these days and I just get to come and, and, and speak but uh, I, I have such respect for pastors and anybody really I guess who's endured through COVID I should say uh, because it's been a tough year for, for so many people and I remember I did a message online uh, last year for, for Ocean View and, uh, and I was thinking you know isn't this interesting that we have to do this online this year and then little did we know 2021 was coming with all of its craziness. So I want to invite you to, to look at Luke chapter 2. As uh, Pastor Darren mentioned, I am doing some, some studies. It was a, it was a COVID uh, decision that we made as a family that I would go back to school. Uh, my friends made similar COVID decisions, but usually in that sense, they ended up pregnant. So we just realized that at uh, a six-year-old and a four-year-old and a two-year-old, we weren't going to let that happen anymore. And so I just go to school <laughs> instead. Uh, when you're studying, when you're studying, you are always encouraged to go to the source material, right? Like we know that there's, someone wrote something, had an idea at one point, and then a whole bunch of other people throughout the years have taken that idea and added their interpretation or their philosophy or perspective or their worldview. And, and as a result, the, the message can change. The source can be forgotten in light of all the new things that have come around it. And that's an important thing when we're looking at Christmas because we actually want to do, we actually do have the source material of what Christmas was first about. Okay, so let's go to Luke chapter 2. And I want to read uh, a story that you've heard many times and just to, to celebrate what it is, to hear it once again, and to uh, maybe pull some stuff out that I think will be important for us as we get to the original source of what Christmas is about because there's some really good stuff in there. So let's read together. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken, the entire Roman world. This is the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Bethlehem, <coughs> the town of David, because he, long, he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living, uh, living in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But an angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. We'll stop there. I believe we have a big problem in our culture today. It's a very big problem. It's the very people that need to hear of this story are at risk of missing the message, the good news of great joy that the angels declared. And the problem is, the reason why it's a problem is because while the story is there in our culture, it's being hidden by an, a different story, a story I've been calling Christmas-ish. And if you <clears throat> look to Christmas-ish for the hope and the joy and the warm fuzzies that we all seek after a very difficult couple of years here, you are actually at risk of becoming more miserable and more sad and more depressed and more hopeless than you were even before. So there's two competing stories 
that we can adopt in our lives, that we can find meaning and purpose and joy and hope and fulfillment in. The, the, thing, the very things that we're all looking for as human beings, especially coming out of uh, the last few years that we've been through. It's Christmas or it's Christmas-ish. Now, as a parent, as a flawed parent, one who doesn't always explain things properly, I get the benefit of explaining things to a six-year-old who is very inquisitive. Now, I want to teach my kids what is true, and, uh, and I want them to have a proper understanding of the world, but I also am met with this conflicting idea that I also want just things to be quiet sometimes. I don't want any more questions. And so sometimes, yeah, while I prefer telling them the truth, the truth just takes a long time to unpack, and so I just, you know, make stuff up to, to keep them quiet for a bit. Like, for instance, we're walking around, and I want my kids to understand what Christmas is all about, but... You know, they said, Dad, why is there minions on people's lawns around this time of year and the minions are wearing Santa hats? Or there's a baby Yoda showed up at the, the one house that had the minions and now a baby Yoda's there and a Darth Vader is there this year, they've added. These particular neighbors have decided to celebrate Christmas with Pixar and Disney themed. And they're saying, Dad, why is this the case? And I said, I don't know, I guess um, maybe, maybe they like Christmas. Uh, well, what, Dad, what does that have to do with Santa? And I'm like, I don't know, um... You know, I guess because the, the next house had a Santa, right? There's a Santa. How, how was that about Christmas? Well, you know, people believe that Santa brings presents and he comes through the chimney. Dad, we don't have a chimney. <clears throat> okay, well, maybe he comes different ways. Well, do you leave the door unlocked on Christmas Eve? And you realize that you can just keep going, but, you know, where does it stop? Like, why does Santa have a beard? Well, because in, there was wise men and they had beards probably in those days. Why, did, why does Santa bring gifts? Well, because they bring the three gifts. Those aren't actually true, and I know that's not true. That's not the history of Santa Claus, but I just make it up because I just want silence sometimes. <laughs> I know there's another way to be a parent. <laughs> I'm open to a different ideas. That's why I have an Instagram account. <laughs> and Wikipedia, of course. But for the meantime, this is just my story. Is I realized that if I could now separate, if I could have a different category and I could say, well, the reason why the minions wear Santa hats at Christmas time is because it's actually Christmas-ish that we're celebrating here. And I'm a fan of Christmas-ish, by the way. I enjoy all the different things that we do. I like a break in my uh, Spotify playlist to put on some Christmas music. Like driving through Ladysmith last night when I showed up, like I love the lights. I think it's a great idea. I enjoy parties as an extrovert. It's fun things to do. But I know, having read the source material of Luke chapter 2, that it is not the actual Christmas. It is Christmas-ish. And it's fun, and it's great, but it could, it's at risk of missing the true heart of Christmas, which is a message for all of us that we all need to hear, especially this year. This is not the only year that Christmas has been difficult. And I think a, a study of history would show that there's been many other people who have found it difficult around the holidays to be full of cheer and be merry all the time. Back in the American Civil War, there was a poet, a writer named Henry Longfellow, and he had a tough year. He had a tough year culturally. I mean, anytime your, your neighbors are at war with each other, even sometimes your own family, is at war over ideas and philosophies. You never had that situation right before. In a difficult situation, people don't always agree about the solution. Have we ever had that before? Is it here on the island? We get that a bit on the other side of the water. So there's, there's tension in the culture around the Civil War, about what is right and what is just and how should, what's the appropriate response to that. But then there's also personal issues for Henry Longfellow. 
And the thing that he was struggling with was uh, he actually lost his spouse that same year. Uh, she was in a, a terrible accident with fire, got burned, and then died a few days later under his care. So he watched his beloved spouse pass away. And then he got in a, a discussion with his son about Civil War things, and they end, the son ended up going to war against his father's desire. The son got badly hurt at a, um, in a, one of the battles, and he, the Henry Longfellow hadn't heard from him in a long time. And at this point, it was Christmas in the year, and so things started to get a little colder, and then the Christmas decorations came out, and the, bells, the Christmas bells started to ring. But the problem is that they rang on deaf ears that year. Because Henry Longfellow was having a very difficult year. He was uh, quite depressed, actually. And he walked around and he wrote these words in poem form. He said, I heard the bells on Christmas ring. Uh, their old familiar carols sing, mild and sweet. The songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then he continued on after a few stanzas talking, uh, referencing the war and the, and the chaos that, that was going on. And he said this, in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. So there was a tension between I see all the decorations and I know I'm supposed to be merry and things are bright, but I don't feel that at all. In fact, I feel despair. And it seems like all the, the chaos of my world does not match uh, what I'm supposed to be feeling, especially around Christmas time. So what did Longfellow do? Well, you're going to have to wait, because I'll tell you at the end of the sermon. You're going to have to stay awake or pay attention. But we can, we can connect with that, right? We can connect with the idea with this, when the songs don't match the experience, when the, the shows don't match how we actually feel, when things don't always wrap up nicely in our lives after an, an hour and 20 minutes of watching it do so in this other family. And so we have a choice, right? We can either say, this Christmas is, is a humbug, it's terrible, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a bad time of year, I hate this time of year. Or we could find that it's, it's something, it's, it's Christmas-ish, but the true meaning of Christmas actually has something to speak to those of us who are hurting this time of year. And that brings us great joy. I love what, the, what the, our Advent reading said in, in Galatians 4 verse 4. It said, when the time was right, God sent his son. When the time was right, we will see that that time uh, was a little too long for some people. It's just a, God waited a little too long, and the time could have been a lot earlier. And we connect with that as well. But when the time was right, God sent his son. We're going to see that time was not as we would expect. The big idea is this, that the first Christmas was not nearly as pretty as Christmas-ish, but it was certainly more real and redemptive. Those minions still on the screen there? Okay. We can get those off because I got a few characteristics. In case you weren't understanding exactly what I'm talking about, we're going to have a, a clear category of what Christmas-ish is, okay? So I got three things of what Christmas-ish is. One, Christmas-ish is pretty. It's pretty. And who doesn't like pretty, right? We got lights. Uh, we got those, those villages, right? It's always, what is, what is Christmas depicted of? It's that old English village with snow on the windows and snow on the roofs and uh, it's just a beautiful scene, right? That's, that's kind of Christmas-ish. We send people cards with that scene. Right? That's a very famous Christmas scene. We decorate our houses with those old villages uh, with a little, you know, all the little townspeople walking around, the lights and all. That's very pretty. It's Christmas-ish. Uh, we bring out these flowers, these poisonous flowers called poinsettias. We put them low so that kids could easily touch them or eat them. Right? We, we, we decorate things with these beautiful red flowers. 
Don't see it in Luke chapter 2, but we bring them out anyways, just to scare moms all over the place so that their little kids that are wandering around eating everything don't eat those things. It's just a thing that we do during Christmas-ish time. Christmas-ish is also very clean, right? In a few weeks from now, you're going to start to hear every single weather person announce whether or not we're going to have a white Christmas. And all the people gathered around listening to them will say, oh, I sure hope it's a white Christmas. Wouldn't it be lovely to have a white Christmas? Why? Because Christmas is clean and Christmas is nice. And it's nice to have clean and nice. And we don't have to drive, right? So we don't mind the snow. But it's a nice time, right? We want to have a nice, clean, white Christmas. This, we wrote a song about it. It's actually a reflection. The, the story of the song is a reflection of one guy's childhood in the 1940s. So he has this idealistic idea of what Christmas is like. It, it snowed that particular year. He wrote a song about it. Bing Crosby made it famous. And now we're every single weather person will anticipate whether or not we'll have a white Christmas or not. And people will discuss it. Is this Christmas going to be white? Do you think it's going to be white? Let's look at the weather. Oh, we get mostly rain here. I'll just spoil most of our parties. An atmospheric river of rain, again, on us. That's the kind of Christmas we think we're going to have, right? It's pretty, it's clean, and it's, it's also a little plastic. So we're going to send these... Um, we're going to send these cards. I don't know how many of you do the cards. I'm, I'm okay with the Christmas cards, the full of Christmas letters. Uh, but the Christmas letters will mostly be about the highlights of the year, right? You're not going to get the backstage pass in most families. Uh, the fights, uh, the awkward Thanksgiving, as you discussed, vaccine mandates. Uh, you're not going to hear about how um, you know, the, the couple went to a counselor that year because they couldn't handle quarantine together. They couldn't uh, talk about the, the fights that the kids emerging through teenagerhood or uh, the fact that, you know, that they're not get, we don't actually like the, the, the girl that our kid married or whatever, right? You're not going to get that kind of stuff in the Christmas card. You're going to get the highlights of the card, all the best pictures. The, you're not going to get the picture of the, the kids wandering away from the picture or them crying. Uh, you're going to get the, the, the one picture of the 50 that the photographer took of where everybody actually happened to be smiling at the exact same time. Why? Because that's what we like at Christmas-ish. We like things to be pretty and, and clean and a little bit plastic. That's why every Hallmark movie always ends up with everything working out at the end. I, mean, I don't know who stirs up these stories or who writes them, but they're all kind of the same. I won't go through the plot, but I'll just tell you this. There's a problem. The lady from the big city moves to the small town and meets her high school sweetheart in a coffee shop. She's not lonely anymore, and all of a sudden they fall in love in the end, and she has a change of heart that she no longer cares about corporate America anymore. She wants to live a small, quiet Christmas life. And then they just do that over and over, and they film them all in Abbotsford. <laughs> That's the only reason why we watch. It's like, I've been there yesterday or whatever. <laughs> but isn't it nice that everything wraps up nicely after just an hour and 20 minutes? But our lives aren't like that. Our experience of Christmas is far from that. In our story, the Grinch doesn't actually have a change of heart. He ends up staying at the top of a mountain, pouting for the whole time. Uh, the roast beast is burnt. Right? If it's even the way that we, we, you know, my mom used to prepare it. And then the Who's don't end up holding hands around the Christmas tree singing Avu Dares, right? They're having still, they're still fighting about vaccines. They won't even gather together in the same place. And so it's just not the, we love the movies, but it doesn't match our experience. And so here's the problem. This is why I address it. This is why I see going on. Is we look to Christmas-ish and we say, deliver me from this pain, from this struggle, from this loneliness, from this hurt from this anticipation, this unmet expectation, from this anticipation that I feel that things should work out. And Christmas-ish doesn't deliver 
as we want. And what many people do is they get cynical and they get bitter. But the good news is that Christmas, the real Christmas story, is better than Christmas-ish because it actually meets you at that very point when you realize that Christmas-ish doesn't deliver. Because I want to show you a few things about what I observed from Luke chapter 2 about that very first Christmas. So if Christmas-ish is pretty clean and plastic, the true Christmas is broken, messy, and even tragic. Let's look at a few things that we remember from, uh, from Luke chapter 2 verse 1. The, the Gospels start, uh, the beginning of the New Testament, the Gospels start with a groaning. You can't always, um, you can't always hear it in the, in the words, but you can feel it when you understand the context of the entire Bible. That there's, a, there's this sense that things are not supposed to be this way. That this is not the way history should have unfolded for the Israelites, the, uh, the people of God, the children of Abraham, from the lineage of King David, who was going to be the one that, through whom uh, God would, you know, uh, instill this system of, of God's people, the chosen people having this land that was promised to them, a land of flowing with milk and honey where God would dwell with his people and his people could be a light to the nations. Well, when we read our Bible, we realize that that didn't last very long and that soon God's people forgot about who he was and he warned them, if, it doesn't, if you don't obey me, uh, things are, bad things are going to start to happen. I'm going to have to start to show you that you're like, you'll only be satisfied when you're in obedience to me, when you're trusting in me, when I am your true king. Of course, we read through the Old Testament, and, and people rejected that idea. And so God brought in some people and said, okay, I'm, you're going to be displaced. I'm going to have other people rule over you, and it's not going to go well, but I'm still going to preserve you. I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to honor my promises. But it's not going to go uh, as you would have wished. And, and in fact, it's not going to be the, the way that you would have wanted it to be because these people are not going to take care of you like you would like. Okay, they're going to tax you heavily. They're going to oppress you. And you're going to long for a better day. But that's, the good news is that that's going to bring you to your knees and it's going to make you trust in me and I'm going to you know, continue my story through that. But when we, when we read something like Mary and Joseph having to go uh, to... Um, because it was a census, right, under, under Caesar Augustus and, and Quirinius was in charge there. These are historical figures who were not nice people. The way they treated the Jews uh, was not nice. I mean, they, let, they kind of tolerated them, but certainly anybody, any first century Jew would have felt like this is not uh, how, it, how it should have been. I don't like this idea that I have to travel all the way back to my hometown just because of this, uh, this census that was happening. It was all about taxes, so I didn't like the idea that I got to pay taxes, uh, the Roman government could tax however much uh, they want. And so it was a broken, oppressive, and, uh, and, and I think if anybody of us, any of us who have ever felt like, you know, did I miss my chance? Then you can understand how these people felt. Like, uh, you would have th thought, you know, what am I doing here? Like, did we miss our chances of people? And I'm sure a lot of people today are saying, like, has God given up on me? Does he not care? I've prayed these prayers. God has, I read these promises in the Bible. God promises to be with me, and yet I don't feel, I feel far from him. Uh, today, and it's been years since I've been praying for this one thing to happen, and I'm still waiting for it. Like, that's the first century context. I mean, that's why uh, the, the song says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel. Uh, our songs that, that we sing, uh, the, you know, the Christmas songs, they really do capture that groaning in the first century, that it is a broken context, that this is not the way things should have been. And our lives are like that too. We admit that our lives uh, feel broken in our relationships, broken in our society, broken in our systems. And 
And that's what Christmas, that Christmas speaks to us so well in that way. Not only was the first Christmas broken, it was also very messy. As you would have known, the Mary and Joseph thing uh, brought a, a ton of controversy. It's like um, Mary all, is all of a sudden pregnant and they haven't gone through their, their ritual uh, with marriage. Um, and so there's a tough conversation that has to happen between them of, you know, what's the deal with you being pregnant? I mean, Joseph believes in miracles, but it takes an angel to intervene, right? But then there's not only that conversation that would probably have been awkward, but it's like Joseph and Joseph's parents, right? It's like, how does that conversation happen? Like, they didn't get the angel visitation to say Mary's actually pregnant of God. So there's a tough conversation that has to happen. And then Mary with, with her parents, and then just even with all of their friends in a very tight first century context, it's, it, that's a messy situation, Okay, another thing that's messy is that they actually have to go travel uh, a long ways to, for this census to happen. And so the first Christmas is, is to a displaced people. Mary and Joseph had comforts at home, and all of a sudden they have to go and find somewhere else to live, to have this, to have this baby, but they're just doing their, their um, you know, what they have to do under law, uh, or else they'll be, in, they'll be in trouble for that. So this is, I don't know how many of you have ever spent a Christmas far from home. Our Christmas-ish songs say, no, I have to be home for Christmas. It's the, the main thing that we have to do. Everybody goes home for Christmas. But the first Christmas was, to a, was with the displaced people. They were out of their routines. They were out of all of their comforts. And they had to have a baby in that situation as well. And so when we hear that the, the city was busy and that there was no room for them to find a, you know, a hotel and they had to go into a stable, you got to think, in that first context, this is a, not a great place to be. So for any of us who have ever felt displaced or um, that they've had, some, had to have some tough conversations and they haven't felt understood or they're distrusting God for something that doesn't necessarily make sense, or maybe they're just completely out of their comfort zone this year, the good news is that the Christmas story speaks to that. Christmas-ish says, no, you got to be home, you know, with your white Christmas, with your family all together, but, but the actual Christmas story says this is a story for people who are, me- who are in a messy situation. Because God's going to do something powerful in that displacement, in that uncomfortable part of your life, and he's going to break through and do something amazing. So the first Christmas is broken, it's messy, and it's also tragic. You remember also the greater context of the story is there's a, a ruler named Herod. And Herod is the, the king of of Israel at that point, and so he's been given a certain amount of power by Rome to just to keep the peace. He learns that there's this new king that's going to be born, and he doesn't like the idea. Not many people like to give up power once they have it. And so Herod des- decides that he's going to kill all the babies that are under the age of two, just to make sure, cover his bases a little bit. He doesn't know exactly when the king's going to be born, so he's just going to have all the, the baby boys killed. And that is a totally tragedy. That's a social justice problem. These are kids being killed. And so in a day of social unrest, you know, we have many, we've seen many of them over the past few years. People that are just angry that this world, that there is un- injustice, that there are things happening where God seems to be turning a blind eye and saying, you know, I'm just going to let this happen. Even though, yes, I'm in control, I'm still going to allow this to happen. If that creates um, something inside of you that says this, this wrong has to be made right, or how could anybody allow this wrong to happen in this, in this world? The Christmas story is going to speak to you as well. And at Christmas time, there's something about when, when things do finally slow down, right? when it's time to get people together and, uh, and have Christmas. There's something about that time when we, can, when we start to mourn some of the losses from the year. 
when we start to, maybe some of you are r reflective and you take time to review the year. Uh, how do you think about what's, what's gone on in the past 12 months? Uh, what's not, what kind of things are, gonna, are you going to say? There's going to be people that are not at the table this year because of some sort of uh, illness or tragedy that happened. You're going to have to mourn that. It's going to be sad. The things are going to be different. Or maybe because of a relationship that was broken, that person's not going to be there. Maybe you have great memories. Maybe you have painful memories. But something about December is our year to, is, is, sorry, is our month to reflect on all that has gone on in the year. And it feels like there's tragedies that maybe we didn't take time to, to fully process because we've been moving so busy throughout the year. I have good news for you, my friend. The Christmas story speaks to that as well. See, the reason why I love Christmas, the true Christmas, is because it speaks to those of us who are broken and find ourselves in messy situations or in tragic situations. Because that is the situation that Jesus enters. Remember, remember Galatians 4, when the time was right, when the time was right, when things were messy, broken, and tragic, God said, I'm going to shine light into this situation. This is a time for good news. And the good news is going to bring great joy for unto us in this day, in the city of David, a Savior is born. Now, of course, it didn't happen all at once when everything was just made right again. But what God was doing was he was br bringing in something that was going to uh, carry out his plan of redeeming the world. But that first Christmas was the beginning of God's promised redemption to his uh, fallen, rebellious, messy, broken humanity. For Jesus came to be born as a boy who would grow up to be a savior, who would be worshipped as a king. And as was mentioned earlier in the service, that that first coming was leading away to his second coming, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus truly is the Lord. And I love what the Bible says about that day, the vision that it cast, that there's going to be no more tears and there's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more sadness, no more brokenness, no more feeling alone, no more feeling like you're living in darkness. This is going to be a, a, an amazing day. When as C.S. Lewis reflected on it, he said all the, all the bad things will be made uh, right again. Or all, all the bad will be made good. And I'm excited about that day personally. And that's why I love, I love this Christmas story. Because it's the promise that this story is, 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 uh, is happening. But it does take faith. It takes faith to be able to say, Yo, even in my, in my two, uh, 2021 year that I've had, that I know that God is still doing something. Even when God seems like he's nowhere to be seen, he's breaking through. Even in this pain, that he is actually healing it. And that is part of the great healing that he's doing in my life and in our, in our world. This to me is, is exciting. And this is why I love Christmas. This is why I love to celebrate. And I say, you know what? Let's talk about the lights. Let's give some gifts. Let's listen to the music. Let's dress with the bad sweaters. Let's do whatever it takes to be people who are full of great joy. Because we have this good news to celebrate. So the good news is that when you actually understand the true Christmas story, you can enjoy Christmas-ish for the substitute that it is, but just because it's a different time of year and it's a break in, uh, in our usual monotony and get to drink eggnog every once in a while. Not too much because then you're going to pay for it in January, right? But why not? Why not get excited about it? Why not? Because there's good news of great joy. The story we know that even though we're in the, the painful part of it, 
is going to have a happy ending. So let's be people who celebrate with great joy. So I'm going to ask you three questions as we, uh, as we bring this to, to you, our lives, to your lives. I'm going to ask you three questions in the application. One, where is God breaking through today in the craziness of Christmas season? Where is God breaking through in the craziness of the Christmas season? See, there's a lot that, that's going on. Even in a, in a dialed-back COVID kind of Christmas, it's still very possible to fill our lives so full of Christmas-ish that we don't, um, that we don't know, like, you know, I, I, like we actually miss the very meaning of the heart of Christmas. Uh, it's also so easy to fill your lives with the, the pain of, of the year that you miss out the true meaning of Christmas, right? Because pain is inevitable. Jesus promised it himself, right? He said, in this world, you will have trouble. So pain is inevitable for all of us. But misery is optional. Pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. So do you live in the hope and the good news of Christmas that God is making all these sad things come untrue again? Where is God breaking in? And would you take a minute at some point, maybe we'll pause at the end of the service just to be quiet, to invite Jesus into the craziness of this season and allow him to break through into areas of your heart that maybe you are holding off with him. Secondly, uh, what can you do to celebrate Christmas differently? What can you do to celebrate Christmas differently? If you're a parent of young kids, this is going to be difficult because kids go crazy for Christmas-ish, right? They love it. They're fed it all the time. We feed it as parents. Our society feeds it. Our, the, the shows they watch feeds it. But what can you do to just be a little bit different, to find a minute? I would say as parents or even as grandparents, find a time when you can say, we're just going to break through all the craziness of Christmas-ish, and we're going to start uh, finding a moment to let God actually break in. And I just want to be aware that even reading Luke chapter 2 can still be Christmas-ish. Okay, if you just say, we need to do real Christmas, so we're just going to have somebody read, right? And then the poor six-year-old has to read about Quirinius, <laughs> right? And reading all these big words. Even just reading the Bible is not actually Christmas. Linus in the Charlie Brown Christmas read Luke chapter 2, and it's part of Christmas-ish too, right? Because it's really about the tree. Uh, so just reading the Bible, isn't it? It's actually reading the Bible and saying, how is God breaking through the darkness in our lives? How is this messy, tragic, difficult situation that Mary and Joseph find themselves in, how is it part of uh, you know, the messy, tragic, and broken situation that Israel found themselves a part in? How is it part of the busy, uh, messy, broken, and tragic situation that our world is in right now? How is God breaking through this Christmas and taking a moment to celebrate that light truly has come in the darkness? And where is that? And just see what I mean? It's just a different way to just do the Christmas things, which can easily become Christmas-ish things. So how are you going to celebrate Christmas differently as a family? And thirdly, I want to ask you this one personally. Where is the redemption in your story? How is God breaking through in your life? Because it could be that those quiet moments when he's not there, he could actually be doing something very powerful and he could be right there with you. Well, it seems like God is distant. He could be close. And we might just be so distracted doing other things, looking at other things that we miss that God is breaking through in our story. That's what God did with Henry Longfellow. I promised I'd, I'd finish with that story. Um, he was look, watching, looking at all the Christmas stuff going on 
seasons were changing, things were getting colder, and he was supposed to be feeling more merry and bright, but he was feeling neither. His circumstances certainly hadn't changed. His wife hadn't, wasn't coming back, and his son was still injured, and he hadn't heard anything, and there was still a war going on. But something happened in, in Henry Longfellow's uh, life when he realized that that didn't make the story less true. And that he had a, a moment of faith when he realized that in the darker times, the, the story has to, has to be bright and it, and it has to be louder. Right? We believe things uh, not when everything's going well. We, we find out if we really believe it when, when we're tested to find out if they're really true. And so he finished his poem called Christmas Bells, which eventually became I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. He said this. He said, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's a hymn or a stanza of faith. In an uncertain world, he had certainty that God was still on the move, that he was doing something powerful. So the thing I would say to us today, in a world of chaos, when it seems like there's darkness and more frustrations and who knows what's going to happen next when we turn on the news tomorrow morning, we can say we know, that we know from the story in Luke chapter 2 that God breaks through in the broken, messy, and tragic situations. He's going to do it again today, and he's got a bigger story that he's telling. And we just happen to be a part of it, but let's be people of faith that trust and celebrate the good news of great joy and use that to announce it to a world that so desperately needs some good news and some joy today. Thanks so much for having me. Let's just bow and pray. And we'll invite um, Jesus into our messy situations, into our broken situations, and into the tragedies that we've experienced. Let's pray. God, I'm so glad that I don't have to give a message of, you know, things will be fine in an hour and 20 minutes, or let's just turn on some lights to make things feel better. Or we have to have these parties where we're all pretend that we're happy. God, it's been a tough year. That little virus has done so much to people's health, to our families, to our businesses. The fighting that has come uh, because of it, the conflicts. And Lord, there's even the stuff that we just go through always, health challenges, um, just everyday conflicts and relationships. Um, people that have been praying for the same prayer for years that have gone unanswered frustrations. God, it's been chaotic, and it's been broken, and it's been messy, and there's been tragedies this year. And I'm so glad that the Christmas story tells us that you break into situations just like that, and that you come to give hope, you come to give life and light, you came to take away our sin, and give us the promise that better days are coming. So may we be people of faith because we celebrate what you did at Christmas. God, if there's any people here today or if there's people watching that Christmas is really just a, the chaos of Christmas-ish and they've just busied themselves and maybe this for the very first time that you would break through into their hearts and show them that there's a better story. And may they receive that story this year and, and understand maybe for the first time what it means that you came into a broken world and you came to restore it through your life and your death on the cross and your resurrection and your promise to come again. Thanks for Christmas, Jesus. It's our only hope. In your name we pray. Amen.